Dear Heavenly Father, um, and what a world we live in. And we look back towards um, creation and we think how far we've gone. And I pray as we come together that we can remember your intent for us, God, uh, that we could be with you and uh, live in your glory God, and enjoy you. God, and uh, God, I pray for um, our hearts, give our hearts change that we need. Uh, this morning is a, just an example of um, the struggle of sin in our our uh, lives and in my heart, I guess. God, cleanse me from that. Um, God, help us. Help us seek you. God, and uh, let the word uh, that you've given us saturate our souls. Amen. And Terry, will you come reading from Psalm 20? Keep his law. And the answer, no. But because of the disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, all of creation has fallen. We are born in sin and guilt, corrupt in our nature, and unable to keep God's law. Romans chapter 5 Verse 12, the Apostle Paul reminds us, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And a thought, just because, because sin has corrupted our ability to love and obey God with all of our, our hearts and our mind and our strength, we acknowledge Jesus Christ as the only one who is worthy to bridge the gap between our sinful selves and a holy God. And because of that, as we honor our Lord and Savior this morning, join me in singing, since there is, since no one can keep the law, the question comes, what is its purpose? Answer, that we may know the holy nature and will of God and the sinful nature and disobedience of our hearts and thus, and thus, our need for a Savior. The law also teaches us and exhorts us to live a life worthy of the Savior. Romans chapter 3, verse 20 says, For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Once we are redeemed... Once we've trusted in Christ alone for salvation, as he has offered it in the Gospels, the law not only points us to Christ, but it shows us how to live the life of peace and blessing that is found only in him. Join me this morning as we continue to sing and we come and close us in prayer, not close us, but as we continue to worship God today. Our dear Heavenly Father, I am overwhelmed by your goodness to us. You tell us to enter into this place with thanksgiving and praise. Enter your courts, your place, your heart. And there's so much for which we need to be thankful for and we can and to 
praise you, to listen to these songs and to give thanks for the cross. And I thank you for the cross, not just for the salvation and the demonstration of your love designed before we were created to be demonstrated to us, but because you give us hope in the, the event of the sufferings that happen in our lives. That you brought beauty out of your suffering, your death on the cross, and therefore the sufferings that we have on this earth. I think of those hurting emotionally and physically. And in your hand, you somehow transform that into beauty and into hope for ourselves and for others. I thank you, Father, that you are the God of hope. I thank you for the cross. I thank you for the fact that you conquered death. And up from the grave you arose, and you gave us hope. And you give us hope not just for the future, but for here as we stand in you, this moment, this time, this place. So we praise you. Our life finds its rest in you. It finds its direction. It finds cleansing. It finds forgiveness. And so we say thank you. Teach us this day, even as we hear from across the world what you are doing that you are here in our hearts and in this place, and you love your people, not just in Edenville, but in Ukraine and across the world and across time. And we thank you for your good plans for us from the moment, the first cry of life, until the last breath of death that you continue for us. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Well, this morning we, I was talking with Jason Hunter. I go, you know, we, we, we have the ordinances that we practice, uh, communion, baptism, and I'm going to add a third one, uh, get, getting to listen to our missionaries that we support. Uh, just this is an opportunity that we have in the, in the sense of the church and what the church is all about, and it's great to have uh, Caleb and, and Christina. And Do you need another mic for Christina at all? Or you will? Okay, so I'll let you keep this one. Uh, so anyway, um, just want to welcome you to the pulpit. I said he has like five hours. Be careful what you ask for. <laughs> All right. So. Thank you. Well, it's so great to be here with you. And I was just reflecting and thinking that uh, the first time we were here was almost exactly 15 years ago. And I think that when I think of it, you know, the years go by so fast. And I found this picture. In fact, you probably won't be able to see you in the back row. I found this picture of our kids. I think this is in one of the classrooms here um, 15 years ago. Okay, that's our oldest daughter. She has two kids now. So <laughs> tells you the time has gone by, but we praise God for his faithfulness, his faithfulness that is seen in you and your, your support, your prayer support, your ministries here. Uh, that just keep going on year after year because those are the foundational things of the church, right? The teaching, the worship, the outreach that are so important, and 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 God is is faithful in all of that. We mainly see God's faithfulness, and and I'm thankful for the faithfulness we've seen in God in our ministry in Ukraine, and just the fact that uh, we've given us 15 years and 
still there's so much ministry there to do. So we want to share with you a little bit today, and I hope that it will be an encouragement to you. I think it's always helpful to see how God is working in different parts of the world because we know that our God is great and he's much bigger than our little world, right? And so we want to show you a little bit of how God is working in our part of the world as well. Uh, so let's, um, we guys, we're really fresh. We just got in on Thursday night. And so just, just warning you, if I break into Russian or something like that, uh, just, just let me know, okay? Um, but uh, so, so we don't have all of our you know, missionary stuff exactly put together, maybe like we should, but we do have a few photos we want to share with you. So um, if I could ask you to just put that up. This is, uh, this is our family. Christine, why don't you come through with me too? This is what's left of our family. What's, we have. Left, what's left in Ukraine. Yes, yeah. we have five children. We have three left. Uh, so maybe just briefly say something about Noel and Nasca and Nicholas. Uh, yes, right now we have three children living with us. Uh, Noel just finished uh, 10th grade, so she's going to 11th. She's the, the tall girl there. Uh, the next one is Anastasia. She goes by Nasca. Uh, she just graduated 8th grade. And then we have Nicholas, who just finished 5th grade. And they, they all go to a small missionary kids' school in Odessa, which is across the street from Caleb's office, which is very convenient every day. Um, so we're, we're so grateful that they're with us. They're really an integral part of our ministry, and, and we'll, uh, we'll go into that a little bit uh, later. But we also have Naomi, who is married to a Chilean, and she lives in Chile. And I feel like she found the furthest place in the world to move away. <laughs> so, I mean, it's exactly like across the world. And so... Um, their can tickets were canceled twice to visit us in Ukraine, so please pray with us that we'll see them in August of this year. Um, and then we have Mishael, who is hopefully will, uh, is bound to start college this year. Uh, it was a bit of a trouble with COVID and, and moving from Ukraine to here, so we're praying that his um, college years will, will be for God's uh, glory. All right. So I want to share with you a little bit about some of our ministries. So... Um or actually, a little bit more family. See, I've told you. I just put these slides together. So uh, um, uh, you, you can see here, uh, these are my parents, my mom and dad. And they live very close to us. And they're also an integral part of our ministry. Um, they're supported by our Sunday Church, Discovery Baptist in Deep Harbor. And they help us in many, many ways. And we're just so blessed to have grandparents on the field. So that's, that's wonderful. Yeah, it is a really big blessing for us. Okay, good. Uh, so we, we live in Odessa, Ukraine. It's a city of just over a million. We're in the southern part of Ukraine on the Black Sea. Uh, it's not too terribly cold there in the winter, maybe just a little bit colder than here, uh, and probably just a little bit warmer in the summers uh, than here, although we've had a very cool summer uh, so far. But it is a port city, and so we have a lot of different people, different nationalities uh, that come into Odessa because of that. And, uh, and we, we love it. It's, uh, it's definitely become home to us over the last 15 years or so. Um, the, one of the first ministries I want to share with you is we have something called uh, Blagavesia Today, which is a center for evangelism and discipleship that I established about, I guess, about five years ago now. These are two of the main pastors I work with, Pastor uh, Roma and Pastor, uh, Pastor Roman and Pastor Yuri. Uh, both of them are from eastern Ukraine. They both had to flee uh, in 2014, when the fighting broke out in eastern Ukraine, Pastor Yuri had to flee because his wife worked for a TV channel, and she was a reporter, and she did a report, and in her report, people said some positive things about Ukraine. And the next day, they called and said, 
do, they called her up and said, do not come into work. There are armed men here to take you away. And so they picked up their things and immediately left uh, within several hours. And uh, Pastor Roma, he um, left uh, because his house was just about half a mile or so from the Donetsk airport. And if you ever watched anything about uh, how the fighting happened in 2014, it basically obliterated the airport and all the neighborhoods around there. And so his, his whole neighborhood was kind of wiped off the map. And so he fled in 2014. And so the positive side to that is that uh, he, uh, both of them initially came to Odessa. You would end up going to uh, Pastor Church in Kiev, Roma State in Odessa, but uh, began working with us in our Center for uh, Evangelism and Discipleship. And uh, you see Roma teaching here. We, we teach a number of different seminars that are mainly focused on evangelism. We're doing some seminars on discipleship as well now, and we do these in local churches uh, all over Ukraine, uh, as well as we've done some stuff in eastern Ukraine. Uh, because these guys are from eastern Ukraine, they can actually get back into that war zone area, whereas other people can't. You have to have special permission to get in there, but because they're from there, they can do that. Um, so we've done some uh, teaching in camps. Uh, this was a missions camp. That's not a very good picture, but it was in the mountains in western Ukraine, and, uh, and so they invited us to come and do some teaching there. Last year, in fact, this was last year, uh, even during COVID, we were able to do some teaching. Last year was a little bit different as far as teaching goes because of COVID, but thankfully we we're still able to, to do a number of things. Next one. This was, uh, in fact, a uh, seminar we did in Yuzhny, uh, about an hour away from Odessa, on um, using art for evangelism. We do a lot of uh, evangelism with art, and so we call it the beauty of the gospel, and talked about how we can use art for evangelism. Uh, and this was another seminar that we did in Romania. We actually got invited to go to Romania last year, just before COVID hit. Uh, we went to Romania, and we taught them how to use historic... Um, prints of historic art and that are all portraying some sort of biblical scene and so you can see in this one maybe this is tower of babel and we talk about the history of these arts and the artist and and what kind of thought he put into it and why he put into it and through it all we just we just share the gospel story from genesis to revelation and and people sometimes don't i mean they they come for the art and they get the gospel basically <laughs> is what happens and it's just an amazing way to share the gospel uh, also, Ukraine Crisis Fund is uh, part of our ministry. We help a number of churches, about um, about a dozen or 15 churches that are in the, the war zone in eastern Ukraine. And, you know, one of the reasons, go ahead, next slide. One of the reasons that a lot of these churches are able to continue to exist is because they simply help uh, people. They feed, um, they help clothe, and especially in the uh, Russian separatist-controlled areas, uh, there is a lot of strict control on any religious activity. And so recently, in fact, in March, I was in eastern Ukraine, not in the Russian-controlled area, but just on the edge of it. I met with some people who work in that area, who live in that area. The, the new Russian separatist-controlled areas, they put in new laws about registration for these churches. And basically what they did is they made it almost impossible, first of all, to register. They're, they're, when they registered their uh, their doctrinal statement has to be approved by the government. And, of course, you can, you, you can imagine how that goes, right? Um, and they have very good theologians, right, in the, in the government. They always do. And so, but actually, their theologians are, are mainly Russian Orthodox. Um, and so, so, basically what they did is half the churches got approved and half the churches didn't. So if you're not, a, if you're not a registered, 
then you can't officially occupy a building. You can't connect water and gas. You can't have you can't heat your building. Uh, it just just makes a lot of problems. And so we have a lot of churches that are still living underneath that sort of uh, threat because they can't register their um, their churches even if they try. Uh, but if they're helping other people, giving out potatoes or or whatever, then they can kind of stay in existence. Go ahead. Uh, so you can see a couple of people that are being helped through our Ukraine crisis fund fund here, and um, and that that makes a big difference and helps those churches uh, stay alive. And um, I recently, I think since I've been here last, I've uh, gotten involved with a pregnancy care center. This is um, kind of like a crisis pregnancy centers that we, you have here where we invite any women who want just to have a free pregnancy test done and um, and we work with them we we study books plus we try to evangelize them so uh, I have two clients and, and they're very different and uh, and I work with them and it, they were not crisis pregnancies but it's an opportunity to evangelize them now, an opportunity to share the gospel with them. And unfortunately, one of the clients is far away from me, so I haven't, I haven't met with her face-to-face -face for over a year because of COVID, and we can't really you know, travel to each other um, that much. But another client, I've been meeting with her, and it's just amazing to see how just asking them, okay, how can I pray for you? And they, they don't quite expect that. And and then they get teary-eyed, and, and they're just amazed that somebody is actually uh, so interested in their life. And so for me, that's a wonderful opportunity to reach out. And the amazing thing is, you know, you think, okay, um, we're missionaries. We're out there. We're taking the gospel to people. But in fact, for many years, we worked with the Ukrainian church. So we never really shared the gospel with a person who did not know about the gospel. So we, this was my first opportunity to really impact the lives of people who have not really given a thought to the gospel. So that was that was amazing for me. It was such a growing experience for me. Um, and also, I am working now with two gals. They're both Ukrainians, and they just recently married. One married an Indian, and another married an American missionary. And, um, you know, sometimes it can be a rocky start. So <laughs> so they, they saw, their family saw our marriage, they figured, well, you know, their international marriage, they, they've made it so far, so maybe there's something that we can share with them. So I meet with the wives uh, once a week, and Caleb meets with the husbands. So, so that's, that's a great opportunity for us to impact their lives. And also I am um, a mom for our, um, our international students that we work with, because those students, I mean, they're 16, 17-year-old kids, and they come from Africa or from South America, and they're just, they're just kids. I don't know. I look at my kids, and they're the age of my kids. And, you know, just recently a girl got burned. Um, she spilled boiling water herself because there was no hot water in their dorm. And so I had to take her to the hospital because they didn't know what to do. They, they could not speak the language. So that was an opportunity for me to be a mom, <laughs> a mom on the ground in Ukraine. So, so that's, a, that's a great privilege for me. All right. Um, go ahead. Uh, of course, the biggest change uh, in the last year and a half or so in our ministry has been planting Odessa International Fellowship. And this was something that wasn't really on our radar, let's say, three or four years ago. But um, in 2018, we started working in a Ukrainian church in the center of Odessa. And they wanted to do a bit of an outreach to internationals. And so we started helping them to do this outreach to internationals. 
And we would have a lot of students come uh, from North Africa, from the Middle East, uh, from West Africa, uh, even from China. We had uh, one of the guys, he was the representative for the Communist Party uh, there in Odessa, and he, he would come uh, to our, 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 Russian, um, uh, our Russian club that we had. And, you know, through that, we noticed that there, there's a big opportunity with internationals here in Odessa. And the difficulty that we had was to, it was very difficult to try and get them integrated into a Ukrainian church, Russian-speaking. They often didn't really know the language very well. The culture was very different for them. And so after a lot of prayer and seeing some of the opportunities that God has given us and talking with our ascending church here and with other pastors, we really saw that God was leading us to plant an international church. And so we started working on that just over a year ago before COVID hit, and then all of a sudden COVID, you know, and you have all these plans, all these things that are moving forward, and then all of a sudden COVID hit, and we thought, well, I guess, I guess this is not going to work. And actually that summer we had planned to come back to the States for, for a few months and visit churches, then that didn't happen. And we thought, okay, we're supposed to go back to the States. We can't go back to the States. And we just sort of started working with these internationals, trying to get something going. Well, now we have all summer to do that. So let, let's just let's just move forward with it. Let's forget about COVID and let's just move forward with it. And so we did. And so we started doing different events with uh, with our students over the summer. Uh, oftentimes we'd just go out to the park, we'd play soccer with them or volleyball or teach them how to play. I don't think we ever played baseball. I'm not sure why you guys have a bat in the picture, but. Um, <laughs> We, I did teach them how to play American football a little bit, and um, uh, and first of all, for, uh, I guess that was May, um, yeah, probably May, about in May, we just met in the park because we were not really able to meet in a, a facility because of the restrictions of quarantine, and so we would just meet in a park with five or six or seven or eight people, and eventually we were able to get back into a facility, uh, probably in uh, June or so of last year. We, I mean, we really only had about, what was it, four or five weeks of quarantine last year uh, that was strict quarantine where we couldn't meet and we did things online. And then after that, we just, even if they said it was quarantine, nobody really quarantined because they were just tired of it. Uh, so, so thankfully, uh, <laughs> yeah, here are a few amens, right? Um, and, and so, you know, it's amazing you think. You always think, okay, we want to plant a church. You know, we want to plan it. We want to be strategic about it. We want to make sure the timing is right and the place is right. And no, you know, and what I kind of found is that sometimes God just throws all those things out of the window. And just, you know, just start doing the work. Just start doing the work. Because if, if I, it was up to me to plan, I would never plan start planning a church during COVID, ever. But God did it. And so maybe that's one of those ways where God says, okay, Caleb, you know, this isn't about you, this is about me, so I just want you to be faithful and do the work, and let's see what happens, okay? And so it's just been amazing to us to see how that has happened, that uh, in a time when we would least think, uh, God planted a church. And in a way, I think it, people were ripe for it, because first of all, we're dealing with internationals, many of them who don't know Russian, so they're, they're limited in their sphere of who they can, can communicate with. And, and then you limit that further by quarantine. And people are starved. They're starved just for human interaction. And so if you give them an opportunity to interact and then give them an opportunity to interact on a spiritual level and, and have a, a relationship with God, 
that's something that the people need and want. And if anything, what I've seen is that quarantine has helped people to see that they need they need a relationship with other people and they need a relationship with God. And so that has been something that has actually helped us to plant this church. Uh, one of our outreaches that we do um, from our church, our church called Odessa International Fellowship, is Russian Club. We just started doing this this past fall. And we did a little bit of this in our previous in our uh, Russian-speaking church. And we had different people kind of coming through. But my goodness, we started this past fall, and we had so many students. We did not, we, we did not have the facility or the teachers to take care of them all. Uh, Indians, Egyptians... Moroccans, Libyans, um, Nigerians, Cameroonians, Ghanians, Zimbabweans, just a lot of different countries. And so it's, it's interesting and, and, fun, and a lot of fun. And go ahead, next one. Uh, this is one of my first students here, the guy sitting there in the, in the center next to me. His name is Ahmed. He's from Egypt. And uh, he started studying with me. Uh, this past fall in September, and I would go once a week to his, he, he has a, a hookah bar cafe. Do you know what hookah is? Okay, so, so let me explain. Uh, so Egyptians really like hookah, so so he's at a hookah bar, and he said, yeah, just come over, and let's let's study Russian together. Go to the next one. Um, this, this is his little cafe called Magic Cafe. You can see the hookah kind of picture on the, on the doorway there. And he said, listen, you know, I've got a little more room here than because I just have my office. It, it's not real big. It's it's about I don't know, 300 square feet or something. And he said, I got a lot more room here in my hookah bar. Why don't you do your clubs here? Said, okay, why not? You know. And so over last fall, we met several times. I don't know, probably four times or so. I mean, I would meet every week with him individually, but we probably met four times with our club in the hookah bar. And I said, well, just, just put together a menu for us, you know, just keep the alcohol off, keep the, keep the tobacco products off, and, and we'll be fine. And so he would do that um, once a week or so. We'd have a meeting at the hookah bar, and, you know, we got to share the gospel there. We, we got to share scripture with Muslim students, Indian students, and, and others. And just amazing kind of opportunities God opens up to you when sometimes you're not even looking for it. Uh, so we do a lot of different events to, to reach out. Russian Club is, is one of them. These are some of our Nigerian students. Um, slide. This is uh, another student of mine from Egypt. His name is uh, Mahmoud. And um, actually, this was in the hookah club. I believe I met him in hookah, the hookah bar. Um, he's, both, both Ahmed and Mahmoud are back in Egypt now. Uh, but really had a wonderful time um, with, with, these, with some of these guys. Uh, these are some of our Indian students. Uh, they invited us to... Uh, Diwali, which is in November, one of their biggest holidays. And so they said, we want to celebrate Diwali with you. I was a little bit nervous. I think, well, you know, I don't know if I really want to worship your gods, but um, I don't mind sitting down and having a meal with you. And so I said, why don't you come? This is in my office, actually. So why don't you bring your food to my office? We'll sit down with our Russian club teachers. Christina was there and two of our other Russian club teachers. And so we did. And they brought all the food. And we just told them, I said, listen, um, you know, we worship Jesus, and so we, we would like to, to pray to Jesus and, and, and dedicate this to Jesus. They said, that's fine. And so, so that's what we did. And uh, so we uh, sanctified that holiday through, through Jesus Christ. And, and we're able to show them the love of, of Christ. And so uh, we have a lot, of, a lot of Indian students. 
who are um, pretty much all Hindus. Okay. Uh, this was just this past Sunday. We had another um, outing in the park for our Russian club, and and we did our worship out in the park too this past Sunday, which was great because we had a number of our uh, we also have Turkish students. In fact, the guy there on the right, uh, he's uh, from Turkey. Uh, the girl there on the left is uh, Nigerian, and and we were able to worship in the park um, with some of our Muslim friends and and some of our Hindu friends. And so God has just opened up many many doors of opportunity that way. Um, and and you know there's many other things that I wish I could share. I don't have time to share, and some of those things. Um, I, I really can't share in a public setting, uh, but individually I can share them with you. But I just want to tell you that there's a huge, huge spiritual warfare going on uh, that uh, Muslims and Hindus are, there's warfare going on, spiritual warfare. And it's not just my observation, it is their words to me, okay? They see the warfare, they experience the warfare, real spiritual warfare. And, and that is why your prayers are so, so, so important. Because there is a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. There's a lot of spiritual stuff going on in the hearts of every person that we meet with, that we talk with, whether they're Hindu, whether they're Muslim, whether we have a lot of West Africans that come out of the health and wealth type uh, uh, churches. A lot of spiritual warfare that is going on in these lives. I also want to ask you to pray for Pastor Stefan. Uh, one of the things that uh, I, my position is always, I don't want to do anything alone. And so when we started praying about planning the church, God brought along uh, Pastor Stefan, who is South African. Uh, and uh, I knew that I really needed an African to help me because a lot, we have a lot of Africans in our church and he understands the Africans. Um, and so he is, uh, he is taking responsibility for the church while we're here in the States this time. And so really appreciate your prayers for Pastor Stefan and I'm glad that he is able to, to help us. Uh, this, is, this is a picture from two years ago. I thought I'd just throw it up there just because it does have our two older children uh, as well as our daughter and her, her husband and their uh, oldest daughter. They have two children now, uh, so we're, we have two grandchildren. Uh, so we appreciate your prayers um, and we'd love to talk to you more about that. I do, by the way, I, I, I have two books. Um, like I said, we just got back, and so I didn't get a chance to order some of my uh, all of my books. I do have this book, Is God Calling Me to Missions, back there. If you'd like to pick up a copy, I always just do that for donations. So um, that will be back there on the back table. Uh, and my other book, if you'd like one, let me know. I'll write your name down, and I can just send some books to the church later. Uh, I just don't have them with me at the moment. Well, I want to talk with you a little bit this morning about discipleship, uh, what it is and, and why it's important. Discipleship is a core ministry, should be a core ministry of every local church. And I was very encouraged to see what you guys are doing here, just going through the catechism, that medley with, with worship. It, it actually gave me uh, goosebumps uh, with some of those songs. Really, really great stuff. Uh, but when we think about discipleship, I think that if you look in a broad sense of the contemporary church today, not just in America, but really all over the world. And, and I have some experience with this because we have internationals in our church from churches all over the world, that one of the big problems in the contemporary church is that it is missing discipleship. And I kind of compare it to a cruise ship, okay? If you think of the church today as, as if it were a cruise ship, you know, a cruise ship with the, the finest restaurants and entertainment and all these decks that are 
filled with all kinds of things that are attractive and luxurious to people and that meet their every whim. If you think about it, people that go on cruises, I know a lot of people haven't been going on cruises the last year or so, right? But when you go on a cruise, how many people, the first thing they think about is what type of an engine does that ship have? How many horsepower? How well is it maintained? What kind of propellers does it have? And will it get me from point A to point B? There might be some ship fanatics that think about that, but I'm pretty sure there's very, very, very few people that that is the reason why they got on the cruise ship. They're looking at the pool. They're looking at the entertainment. They're looking at the staterooms. They're looking at anything and everything except the most important thing on that ship, which is the engine. And unfortunately, I think that represents what the state of many churches are today. People are looking at all the outward things of the church, what kind of music, what kind of chairs, what kind of a pastor, what kind of whatever. And they're not looking to see what kind of discipleship is happening in that church. And so the investment of time and energy and money gets put into those outward things the lights and the paint and all of that. And I'm not saying there's not a certain level of importance to all those things. There is. But without an engine, there is an engine that is missing in the church today, and it is the engine of discipleship. It is discipleship that really keeps the church running, moving forward. And you think, well, so what? You can go on that cruise ship and have fun anyway. No, you can't. Not without an engine, because you're going to get stuck in a storm. Without an engine, you're going to be dead in the water, and you're going to be dead. Eventually, you can have fun for a while, but eventually, you're going to get stuck in a storm, you're going to lose your way in a fog, and you are going down. And so we need to be careful as we think about the state of discipleship in our churches today. What is it? Why is it important? And how does it drive the church? So let's go to God's Word and see what God's Word says about this. I want to turn your attention to Acts chapter 20 verses 17 through 38. I know it's a little bit of a larger passage, but this is a narrative passage. This is Paul talking to the leaders in the church in Ephesus. What I really like about this passage is in this passage, we see a detailed description of how Paul did discipleship in the church in Ephesus over a period of three years. And it's very instructive to us. And we see Paul's emphasis about how he worked with the church there. This is coming off Acts chapter 19, where we see previous that, uh, that uh, Paul was coming to them for a second time. It was just going to be a real short visit. He wanted to see the leaders of the church, and when he gets together with them, he reminds them about his mode and method of ministry while he was with them. He wants them to continue in that pattern. So let's read from Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 17. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came from the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. 
you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Amen? So this text is a living example of Paul's discipleship, what it looked like. And also we see not only a positive side to discipleship, but a negative side. He talks about the wolves that could come in and take people away from the church. And so we see both sides of the coin. What happens when there's good discipleship? You get growth, you get multiplication, you get elders that loved Paul because he taught them and that loved Jesus. And we see what can happen when there is a lack of that discipleship, of that sound biblical teaching in the church. And you know, I like this comparison of the church to a ship because the church and the ship are a lot alike and not only in the sense that it's important to have a good engine, which is the engine of discipleship and God's word and teaching, but also because when you think of a ship, navigation is very important. It is vital. And what happens when your teaching gets a little bit off or when you just sort of pull teaching out of the ministry of the church, when you pull discipleship out of the ministry of the church? You know what happens? That church, like a ship, a ship will continue on its previous course for a while, will it not? It will continue and then it will imperceptibly start veering off course because it will be pushed by the winds and by the currents of contemporary society. 
And what is at first unnoticeable will, after three, four, five years, all of a sudden, you'll see there's a big difference between this church and that church. This church is not doing these things anymore. And what happens? It kind of goes step by step. When sound biblical teaching leaves, you have the emergence of motivational type speaking, of popular philosophy, of superficial, just do this and this, these little tricks if you want success in life. And then you have the vanishing of personal discipleship. And when personal discipleship vanishes out of the church, the church becomes nothing more than just a kind of a comfortable place to get together, a club in a sort of sense. The sermon loses its central place in worship, and instead of it, you get all kinds of various elements of entertainment. And eventually what you have is a church that will compromise doctrine at the core level. And here's the thing. You cannot compromise doctrine without eventually compromising morals. They go together. And if you compromise your morals, guess what? Eventually, you will come to a place where you'll be forced to compromise your doctrine. If you compromise your doctrine, you think, ah, it's no big deal, it doesn't affect my life, no worries. Eventually, you'll come to the point where you will say, no, I actually want to live this way, which is opposed to God's word. Doctrine and morals go together, and I think that that's really the essence of discipleship. Discipleship is a combination of teaching and action, of behavior and doctrine. We can In discipleship, we must always put those two things together. Anytime we have teaching that doesn't connect with real life, we have a problem. And if we don't fix that, it will eventually go awry. And anytime we have life that doesn't have any connection with our teaching, that we don't even see why are we doing this, well, we know that eventually our doctrine will have no meaning to us. And so we must pay close attention to all of these things. Unfaithfulness to Christ in teaching always will eventually produce unfaithfulness to Christ in conduct. So I want to look at seven characteristics of discipleship that we see here in this passage. And the first one that we see is in verse 18, which is so, so practical for today. And it's in verse 18, he says, what does he say? You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. That's important. With you. The whole time I was with you. Presence is important. It is vital in discipleship, friends. We cannot really disciple fully without physical presence. Has not COVID taught us that? Yeah, we went online. Our church went online for a while. It was terrible. (laughs) But we did it. And thankfully, we only did it for a while. We did it for about five weeks, I think, maybe. And then we realized we cannot go on this way. And I'm telling you, I believe that there is a biblical mandate to be physically present for discipleship. There is something different to be physically present. There is something different than putting me up on a screen here and all you watching me talk about our ministry or whatever and being physically here. There's something different. 
And we see that in Paul's life. That's the first thing he tells us. The first thing he tells these elders is, you know how I lived when I was with you. Why did they know how he lived? Because he was with them. What is the problem with all this online Christianity? You're not with those people. People want to say, oh, you don't have to go out of your house. You don't have to meet with those people. You just turn your computer on. You just see them on the screen. It's all the same. Maybe it's even better. No, it's not. Because I have an online personality. And my online personality is only what I want you to know about me. And I can hide really easy behind a screen. But guess what? Come and live with me for a while, (laughs) okay? If you're brave, come and live with our family, okay? You'll find out that we're not always the perfect missionaries. You'll find out. And I'll find out that you're not always perfect too. There's a reason God wants us to be together. Discipleship needs togetherness. It needs physical presence. In fact, in our ministry, one of the reasons why we just do sometimes things like game night. It's not because game night is a core ministry of the church, right? I don't care if you can play ping pong or not. It's because I need time to be with those people. I need a space where I can show them Christ's love, where I can talk with them, where I can answer questions. And it has been on things like game night and even Russian club. You know, I teach Russian. I have about, I guess I have about seven or eight students. Okay? Well, big deal about Russian. Russian is not of core ministry of the church. But when they come and then they ask questions and then they get to know us and then they come over to our home for a visit, that's where they begin to see Christ. And so all of these things that we do have elements of togetherness in them. And yes, I still I I love I'm not bad mouthing communication online. It is important, and I use it, and it is one of the ways I keep in contact. I have I have my uh, two Egyptian students. They're back in Egypt now. Guess what? I still keep in contact with them. That's great. But let's not deceive ourselves in thinking that, oh, I can just do Christianity online. Oh, I can just do discipleship online. Oh, I can just watch some online preacher. Okay, your preacher is better than any other, any online preacher. (laughs) You know why? Because you can come right up here and talk to him. Because he knows what kind of problems you have. And you might know a few things that I don't know about him then maybe he doesn't want me to know about him, okay? And you still accept him because there's the grace of God in your relationship. And that is something that produces growth, spiritual growth. Friends, we we have to be together. Notice what Paul says also in verse 20. He says, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you both publicly publicly and from house to house. What a good example, right? Public teaching is important. Private mentoring and discipleship and teaching is important. We need both of those things. There's another thing that we see here, and we see that biblical discipleship requires teaching. And I know that sounds really obvious, like really, do you have to mention that? Yes, I do have to mention that. 
because we can do, like I said, we can do the game nights and we can do ping pong. We can do all these things and just kind of sort of forget about the doctrine and teaching part of it. And we have to constantly be bringing that back to center. It's just amazing as you look through this whole passage how many times Paul brings up this idea of how persistent he was in his teaching. Verse 20, I didn't hesitate to preach, right? I taught publicly. I taught house to house. Verse 21, I declared repentance. Verse 27, I declared to you the whole will of God. I mean, he had three years, right? I mean, some, some preachers, they go like 10, 15 years. They don't even get through the whole Bible. And Paul says, I declared to you the whole will of God. Guess how did he do that? He was doing it every single day. He was, he was consistent and persistent and regular with these people in teaching. And in verse 31, he says, I never stopped warning you. Okay, teaching and doctrine just infiltrated every single aspect. And we don't see here that Paul says, you know, I just went to Denny's with you. That's fine. Go to Denny's, you know. But go to Denny's and then open God's Word. And be in God's Word. We have to have that to have real discipleship. The third aspect of discipleship that we see here is that biblical discipleship requires consistency. It requires consistency. And I think that this is so important. Consistency is lacking often. He says, from the first day and the whole time, Verse, in verse 18, verse 31, he says, for three years, day and night. I mean, this is kind of exhausting sometimes, right? But Paul was very consistent. He knew why he was there. And we see that this regular persistence pays off. Our problem is, is that we want to do things that pay off quickly. We want to do things that, like one-time things. Like, okay, let's just give a big push, let's just do it, and then... If it didn't work, it didn't work. If it worked, maybe we'll try it again sometime. You know, the Bible has a different approach. God doesn't tell us, you do something, look at the results. If they were good, then keep doing it. If they were bad, stop doing it. He says, no, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be engaged in discipleship, in doctrine, in teaching, regardless of the results. You just keep doing it. You just keep doing it. Because it's the right thing. That's the problem in much of our society today is that people don't do things because it's the right thing. They do things because they just want to or they just don't want to, right? And, and it just becomes a personal whim, a personal desire. Well, I don't know how I feel about that. I don't care how you feel about discipleship. It's the right thing. Do it. And Paul says night and day with tears. Do you think Paul felt good about his discipleship all the time? No. It was with tears. There were some heavy emotions at times. It wasn't easy, but he was consistent. He did it day in, day out. And there were results. Fourth thing we notice here is that biblical discipleship requires hard work. Verse 19, what do you say? He says, working for the Lord. And he talked about day and night. I mean, this, this, Paul was a hard, hard worker. I don't know if you'd notice that today's world, if we talk about media, media has shrunk 
it has become shorter and shorter and more superficial and more superficial until you get how, how long is a clip on TikTok? Does anybody know? I think it's 15 seconds, isn't it? Yeah, the young people know. Uh, it's 15 seconds. Tell it's 15 seconds, and guess what? People watch TikTok and they can't even hold on for 15 seconds. It's flip to the next one. We've gotten used to things just, if it's not interesting, get rid of it. If it's not fun, get rid of it. We need to get back to hard work. Gospel work is really hard. Discipleship is really hard. Because you have to care for people, and you have to love people when they're not very loving. And it's, it's just, it's hard. I mean, we get tired sometimes, but the Lord gives us strength, but... But that is important that we put forth the work that comes along with discipleship. You know, when it comes to discipleship, in fact, there's thousands of gimmicks and provocative entertainment type things that people promote as discipleship all the time. You know, discipleship is really just about working with people and teaching them God's word and then showing them how it's lived. In its essence, it's very simple. But you know, some of the hardest things to do are simple. I mean, you know, do you need a lot of instruction to dig a hole? No. There's a shovel. There's a dirt. You dig it. But it's hard. I know it's hard. Well, can you make it easier? No. Well, fine. Wear gloves. Maybe it'll be a little easier on your hands, right? And the same thing with discipleship. It's like it's it's really simple at its core. But we got to be willing to do the hard work. And oftentimes we're just not. We'd rather just relax, be at home. And I want to tell you something else. You know, when it comes to hard work and the hard work of discipleship, 80% of discipleship, 90% of discipleship, it's not seen. It's an iceberg. It is under the water. It is under the ground. It is private conversations with people. It is meetings one-on-one. It is also time that I spend one-on-one -on -one with God that you don't see. I'm giving you this message that you didn't see me prepare, did you? I'll tell you, I work more on this message more amount of time than it takes me to give it. Kind of like preparing food, right? You know, it takes you two to three hours to pick, make a big meal for someone they eat it in 20 minutes. You think, well, was that worth it? Yes, it was worth it. Discipleship is the same way. We've got to be willing to do that hard work behind the scenes. Not for Instagram, not for TikTok, not for Facebook, but just for the glory of God and the spiritual growth of that person that we're working with. Fifth thing that we see here is that discipleship requires humility. 20 verse 19, Paul says, With great humility, I love Paul. He doesn't mind telling you how humble he is, right? Like, I did it with great humility. And I think that he could say that. You know why he could say that? Because he was speaking to the people that were with him for three years. If I tell you I'm humble, you're not really going to know because you weren't living with me day in and day out for three years. But if you lived with me day in and day out for three years, and I tell you, guess what? I was humble that time. You're going to know, is that true or not? And how do those, those elders respond? Yeah, they knew. There was a lot of humility there. Friends, humility is so important. Humility is the heart that is tilled by repentance. 
And it's so important that we have that humility. Without humility, the word itself will not penetrate your heart. How can it penetrate the heart of the person you're trying to disciple? Without humility, I will not see the effect and the application of those teachings on my own life first. I have to be discipled and I have to allow the Holy Spirit to disciple me as well before I can disciple somebody else. Without humility, my attempts to teach another person will be rejected by that person when they see my pride and arrogance. And my attempts to do discipleship will simply push them away from Christ and not towards Christ. Humility is necessary for true discipleship because discipleship requires sacrifice of my time, of my energy, of my pride, and my finances. It requires sacrifice. Discipleship ministry is when I invest my life in another person, not so that I can get a big return. You know, when we talk about investing, it's always, okay, what's my return going to be? What's my return going to be? When you go to discipleship, just get all thoughts of return out of your mind. Because you're investing in the kingdom of God. You're investing for God's kingdom. God will reward you. But you might invest for a year or two or three, and then that person rejects you. Okay, it happens. If it happened to Jesus, it can happen to you. And we have to have that right attitude of humility to say, I am doing this for that person, and I am doing this for Christ. So if anything happens, that that person walks away from me and walks away from Christ, I can stand there and I will grieve that person, but I will not be bitter because I did that for Christ. And I'm putting it all in his hands to take care of. I mean... Personally, I have struggled with that on several occasions. And, and it's a battle within that we have to just give it over to God and say, okay, I thought this person was really going to be a, somebody that was going to come up in the church, in the ministry, whatever, and it didn't happen. Give it over to God. Biblical discipleship also requires patience. Verse 19, he says, I serve the Lord with great humility, with tears, and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of Jewish opponents. He had problems inside and outside of the church, right? Verse 31 says, be on your guard. Remember that for three years, he was in it for the long haul. We're talking years here. Not months, not weeks, not days. We're talking years. Paul was in it for the long haul. Patience is imperative for discipleship. Patience tells us that there will be bumps in the road, but we need to keep the same direction. We need to keep heading the same direction. Patience is a testimony to the person that we are discipling, that when they mess up, I'm not just going to get rid of them because I still see God's grace working in their lives. Because I've seen God's grace working in my life and his patience towards me. Patience is a testimony to those that we work with. Patience helps us to realize the final goal is really not even here on earth. The final goal is not just to get that person into ministry or mature or whatever. The final goal is in heaven. And patience tells us that. You know, we are faithful to Christ 
when the sun is shining and the birds are singing and the ambient temperature is 70 degrees. That means nothing, right? That means nothing. But when we are faithful, when it's rainy and dreary and the wind is blowing, that means something. And that'll mean something for your spiritual growth. And that'll mean something for the spiritual growth of the person that you are discipling. You see, discipleship isn't just about one person growing. It is always about at least two people growing. And if you are not growing by discipling another person, you're doing something wrong. And so whether that one person grows or not, hopefully they will. You need to grow. And I think that one of the reasons that many Christians don't grow in their faith is because they are not growing anyone else in the faith. And we need that stretching activity. And the final thing here is that biblical discipleship requires attentiveness. Verse 28 says, keep watch over yourselves in the flock. Verse 29 says, savage wolves will come in. And verse 31 says, so be on your guard. There is a real sense where discipleship isn't just a luxury cruise. Unless it's a cruise on a battleship. You need to have your eyes and ears open. You need to have your eyes and ears open to how Satan can attack you. In my ministry experience, I have seen that Satan attacks when we begin to move forward in the ministry. And I have seen that Satan attacks in ways, in our blind spots, I guess we can say. In those areas where we're not thinking about it. If you are going to disciple others, be alert. Be alert to your own life, to your own tendencies, to your own temptations, to your own family, to your own moral purity. And then be alert to the person that you are discipling to help them realize some of those little telltale signs of, listen, that's not a good road to go down. That decision is going to get you into trouble. That habit is not going to be helpful for your spiritual growth. Learn to observe carefully. And I believe that the Holy Spirit really helps us when we are on our guard and we are carefully observing our own spiritual status and the status of those that we are discipling. Friends, discipleship is the engine that runs the church. And it's not something that only the pastor should be doing, but it's something that we are all called to do in one way or another. It doesn't mean that you're going to be necessarily preaching a sermon or even teaching a Sunday school class. But I am confident that there is someone in your life that you can disciple. Who is that person? Ask God, who is that person if you don't have anyone now that you can be actively discipling and you will find a great blessing and joy in that discipleship relationship. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have given people in my life who discipled me, who gave me a visible example to follow who showed me what it is to teach, to live for you. I thank you that those people were, were physically in my life and had a presence that had meaning. And I pray, God, that you would enable each person here to look and see where they can be engaged in 
discipleship so that Eatonville Baptist Church isn't just a church of a pastor who teaches and everyone else who just takes it in, but it is a church of disciplers who are all engaged in your word, in your truth, in your teaching, and engaged in teaching and discipling someone else, Lord. We thank you that you give us these opportunities. We thank you that we do have the opportunities to be together now despite this unusual year with COVID and quarantines. And we pray that you would give us more opportunity and more boldness and the desire to live the way Christ lived and to disciple others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, we want to say thank you to Caleb and Christina for coming today. And and uh, if you want to hang around and talk to them a little bit, you can. You're welcome to. But uh, we just want to say thank you for being here today. And just God bless you as you uh, go from here and be God's light, be his voice and his heart uh, as you uh, meet with and, and, and uh, work with people all along the way. So God bless you today. And uh, just remember tonight is our... Uh, we're, we're doing God's story, how to share that with people who do not, who do not know Jesus Christ. That's at 6 o'clock.